Amen. Isn't God good? Hello, everybody. Anybody in this building blessed today? You had a great week? Just one more time. Stand with me. Stretch. Lift up your hands to heaven and say, thank you, God. I think the report we've heard today, we would be remiss if we did not offer God some praise. So let's give him some praise right now. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Just had you stand for a moment. And so, just a few quick updates. I'll just say this about last Sunday night with Montel Jordan. It was incredible. And in fact, if you missed it, all I can say is, you missed it. Amen. And uh, regarding the placing of the Bible uh, in the foundation, that is actually right under where the pulpit will be. Isn't that phenomenal? And they can uh, play that if you would. And there they are. Our staff is praying together over the Bible. That's Bob Jones and Diana Jones, our prayer pastors. You see Pastor Donnie and you'll see Pastor Tony and Andrew and my wife and then Pastor Irvin and a bunch of folk were there. Not everybody is included in the photo. They gave it to Andrew to put into the ground to symbolize that what we're building and what you're giving toward this dream is not just for us. It's for future generations to come. Amen. Amen. And I thank God for that. So thank you so much for your kindness and update on the hurricane relief project that has gone on now. What are we now into our 66th day? I think it is. Let me tell you the good news. Do you know we have done such an incredible job, thanks to our team, that in helping people that listen to this, And this will blow your mind. The Greater Houston Community Foundation just awarded us a $200,000 grant to continue to help. Isn't that awesome? So I want to thank every volunteer, Pastor Irvin, Pastor Phyllis, of course, the tremendous team that have been involved, uh, Pastor Natalie McDermott, who is the wife of Pastor Mike McDermott, our generation's pastor. Oh, my God. Just awesome the, the job that everyone has done. And uh, the two youth services on Sunday morning are blowing up. I understand that last week, not this, not this week, including the week before, I still have to get the figures for this week, but I think there were over 300 young people in all of our various young youth services, Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And we're finding that a lot of those that come on Wednesday can't come on Sunday and vice versa. So it's it's just great to see what CT is doing. And and I'm just really, really appreciative of of the direction that this is going so that we can position our young people to really impact our city and the world for God as they embrace what is important for us. Our values, the Bible... Uh, the God that we love, all of that would mean nothing if we didn't have someone to pass the torch on to. And so I thank God for them. Don't forget, recharge on Wednesday night. Pastor Steve Miller is here. Would you stand up, Steve? Amen. Amen. Get a great job on Wednesday night. I heard it was off the chain. Let me get into the word of God because I've got a lot of ground to cover, okay? Here's some more t-shirts 
I'm kind of stuck on this t-shirt thing right now. And have you noticed how much they pretty much capture the t-shirt some people wear? Pretty much tells you what their life's philosophy is. Have you noticed that? What's this? In fact, I've often said that what you say about someone tells you more about, tells someone else more about you than you're telling them about them. Amen. Here's a t-shirt that was worn by someone who obviously had been in a very bad relationship. If your phone doesn't ring, it's me. (laughs) Think about it. Amen. Here's another one. Keep talking. I'm diagnosing you. And here's one worn by someone who obviously needs a little patience. My silence doesn't mean I agree with you. It just means that your level of ignorance has rendered me speechless. So we're praying for that person to get some patience, amen. And here's a great one worn by a dad. Yes, and I have a daughter and granddaughter, so I can relate to this. Yes, I do have a beautiful daughter. I also have a gun, a shovel, and an alibi, amen. <laughs> Any of you dads relate, amen. Acts chapter 2, 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Second Chronicles twenty fifteen, And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid or, nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeriel. And you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. We began a new series last week on the subject, Position Yourself. We are still drawing from the theme that we have been using this entire year about life in the dimension beyond average. The early Christians clearly experienced that. And for the last several weeks, number of months actually, I've been talking about a whole number of principles that you find in Acts chapter 2 at the close of that chapter that the early church lived by that caused them to, well, live life in the dimension beyond average. So much so that the church blew up. People stood at the door trying to get into the church and get saved. That's remarkable. As I've pointed out, considering that they had just crucified the founder of the church 50 days before. As we've come to this part of this text in Acts chapter 2, I want you to see that they prayed. We've talked about that a little in the series that I just concluded on practicing the presence of God Prayer to them was clearly not all about, I'm in need, so here I am, come bail me out. Because if they prayed every day from that perspective, as I've already said, folk would have run from them. I mean, I can understand you having a need once in a while. But if everybody in the church is so burdened down with needs 
that you got to spend every day praying because you're about to go under. All I can say is most folks say, I'm getting away from that. Amen. Want nothing to do with it. But that is not what they did. They came into the church. Prayer actually was serving a vital and I think very important part in doing what I'm talking about in this series. It was positioning them. And when I began last week, I I talked about that we are looking at the prophetic word that was given to King Jehoshaphat during one of the worst situations that Judah had ever faced as a nation. And just sometimes, have you found this to be true? You need a word from God. It's great to get an encouraging word from family and from friends and from people you worship with, but sometimes you need a word from God. In this case, as it often is with us, the problem arose that they found themselves in because Judah had been disobedient to God and made a really bad decision. They had allied themselves with King Ahab, who was king of Israel, the other side of the divided kingdom. And he was one of the most wicked kings that ever ruled on the face of the planet. By allying with him, they had gotten out from underneath God's favor and protection. And they were now subject to all of these other things that were happening, such as this attack by the enemy that stretches from this horizon all the way across to this one and disappears into the distance on either end. The scripture says Judah was like a little flock of sheep, handful of sheep there before this mighty army. What moves me deeply and profoundly about this, even in this story, as it is throughout the entirety of the word of God, we see the redemptive nature of God revealed. Most of the time, what we find ourselves needing to pray over is stuff we got ourselves into. Amen. And so, Lord, really, like the fellow said, free me from me. Amen. Deliver me from me. Amen. From this story, we learn that God doesn't stop loving us even when we do wrong. If we turn to him, he will help us even though we're the ones that got ourselves into the situation in the first place. And so God gives this word to Jehoshaphat in Judah. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Sandwiched between these two incredible reassurances from heaven are these two words, position yourself. God was ready to fight on their behalf. But they had to get into the right position. They had gotten out of the right position. And this tells me that you can be out of, if, Is, if Israel, could, or Judah rather, could be out of position, then you can be out of position to be blessed as well. Of course, I realize that it, it could mean that maybe God was saying get in the right place geographically. But it has other meanings as well. All those things happened to them, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, for our admonition, which is instruction, upon whom the ends of the world are come. And I don't think that this just means that you're to be in one place geographically, but I found in life you can get out of position spiritually. You can get out of position in a relationship. You can get out of position in terms of your health, any number of things. And you can literally place yourself in such a state that you can't be blessed, though it is God's intention to bless you and his desire to bless you, just as we see that he expressed to the nation of Judah. 
These two words, position yourself, are actually incredibly revelationally prescriptive. You've heard the doctor say before when you've gone to the doctor, take these two pills with a glass of water, you'll be fine tomorrow. I want to tell you that if you take these two words right here, every day of your life, if you will get up in the morning, take these two words and say to yourself, today, God, help me to position myself to be in your favor and grace. I can promise you, your life is going to suddenly begin an upward climb. Amen. How do you position yourself becomes the question of paramount importance. I'm glad you asked, actually, because as we discussed last week, there are over 7,000 promises in Scripture, and for every one of them, there is a corresponding premise that must be met before the promise can be fulfilled. Amen. You might not realize how fundamental this is to the promises of the Word of God, but even the promise of salvation itself begins with this understanding there are premises we must meet to receive the promise of salvation. You say, I don't know if I can accept that, Pastor. I was always taught that salvation is the free gift of God. It's because of God's grace that we have salvation made available. You're absolutely right. And though Christ paid the price in full and salvation is free, listen to Romans 10 and 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I want to point out, you don't have to do anything to be lost. And that really is a stumbling block for some people. And they say, I didn't do anything bad. Why am I lost? You didn't have to. You were born a descendant of Adam. And you've got Adamic nature within your breast. And his blood flowing through your veins. It is blood that has been contaminated with a virulent contagion called sin. You do have to do something to position yourself to get saved. And as these scriptures state, you've got to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. That everything Jesus did from his atoning death to his amazing resurrection has paid the price in full for you. I wish somebody would say amen. So a premise isn't restrictive or limiting. It's not about earning or purchasing your blessing. That's not what it's about. It's about getting in the right place where you can be blessed. If the water is falling or the river is flowing right here, what are you doing standing over here? You got to get where the river is at. Amen. And the scripture helps us because sometimes... And I I, I think this is so fundamental to everything I'm teaching that getting in the right position can be as simple as changing your mind, changing the way you think. So let's talk for just a few minutes about that. Amen. You see, you can have the right job, be married to the right person, have all the charisma in the world. You can attend the right church, live in the right neighborhood, have the right degrees from the right schools. But if your thinking is not positioned correctly, even if you do manage to succeed, and some people will, some people will, you need to know this. You will not be satisfied with anything you've worked your entire life for or that God has given you. Amen. You can be a success outwardly, but a failure inwardly. I'm preaching right now. 
When that happens, I can assure you that you will not be able to experience, continue to experience the breakthroughs that you have been experiencing in your life through hard work. They won't keep coming. Why? Because you have lost the capacity to be able to appreciate them. Success is more than just the mastery of certain skill sets and the achievements of objectives and goals. It is also being able to enjoy the journey and the fruit of your labor. Amen. Somebody said, I'm going to have fun when I get there. Uh Uh-uh, neighbor, I'm having fun right now on my way to getting there. Life is meant to be enjoyed. And I'll tell you something else. It's all meaningless if you don't have somebody to enjoy it with. That's the truth. Joys are multiplied and sorrows are divided when you have someone to share them with you. And that's why in Ecclesiastes 9 and 9, God said, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days, there it is again, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. You say, boy, that sounds negative. Well, let me tell you what he's saying. That if you don't have somebody to share it with you, that's exactly how life turns out. It's meaningless. Amen. And when you have an inability to appreciate what God has given you, or you're not enjoying it because because somehow or another you're using his blessing now to self-destruct. And have you ever seen people do that? They get blessed and all of a sudden they were better Christians before they got blessed than they were afterward. Do I even want to touch that? Hello, somebody. You prayed and prayed for God to bless you. And now that he is, you're using that to fund an illicit life. You start doing that. I promise you it works like this. It's like the thermal switch in a hairdryer. Have you ever turned on a hairdryer and it overheated and then it stopped? That's because that's what happens when blessings start flowing your way and they're used inappropriately. And then I want you to know that the thermal switch opens and the blessing stops because God doesn't want to burn you up. That's why that thermal switch is there. It will burn up the appliance. Amen. You see, the Bible's actually gotten a bad rap. And I'm going to say this before I get into the principles that we see in this story. The Bible's gotten a bad rap because everyone always talks about the Bible as being a book that tells you what you can and can't do. It's not out of, uh, actually about your actions at all. You say, Pastor, wait, whoa, whoa, what, what is that? I said, it's not even about your actions. That's not what the Bible is actually about. Amen. It's actually about what you think. Because if you get your thinking right, this is what you need to know. There's never been an action that didn't start as a thought. And if all you do is deal with the actions, you're like the Pharisees that Jesus rebuked. You've washed the outside of the cup until it is glistening and sparkling clean. But look over into the cup itself and it is filled with slimy goo and ugly, nasty stuff. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for that. You get the inside clean. You don't have to worry about the actions on the outside. And this is why the Bible is so important. As I said, it's about your thoughts. It literally helps you reposition your thinking. 
It does so by doing two things. The first, things it, first thing that it will do, it will reveal to you where your thinking has been compl- incorrectly programmed with the principles of this fallen word. This fallen world, sorry. It will reveal to you where your thinking has been incorrectly programmed. And you still are believing the stuff that this world has tried to put into your heart all of your life. Let me show you how that works. Have you ever been to church and somebody's preaching something and something inside starts rising up? And even though you see what they're preaching right there in the Bible, you can't accept it. Something rankles your spirit and something on the inside gets irritated. You start looking for a way to disagree with it and prove it wrong. And you say stuff like, oh, that's just the pastor's opinion. Amen. Uh Uh-huh. That's a pretty good indication that God is confronting you. The second thing the scriptures do is they help us correctly position ourselves by after having identified where the principles we embrace are incorrect, that it now supplies you with information and truth that will enable you to access and unlock the next dimension of God's favor and blessing. That keeps you from getting stuck. Anybody in this building feel stuck? Been there? Anybody in this room right now? For the last 30 years, the scenery's never changed. You don't need to get stuck. And here's where prayer really helps you with this. Prayer positions your heart and opens it to receive revelation. Prayer opens your heart to receive what God is pointing out in you needs to be changed. Secondly, prayer opens your heart to receive the download that God is giving you that is going to get you to the next level. I want to tell you something, and this is what I have learned from my own experience. Praying people do not think the same way as those who do not pray. I wish I could hear an amen. I can tell you from my own life when I'm not praying and I've been too busy, all of a sudden my thinking goes weird on me. And I have to say, who is this that is talking to me from inside my heart? That's not right. I know better than that. Hey, 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 soul, why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Sometimes you got to talk to yourself. Amen. And when you pray, it positions you to hear from God. And here is why. God knows something most of us have not yet learned. And that is this. There is nothing in this world as powerful as a changed mind. Oh, you can change your job. You can change your house. You can change your neighborhood. Change your hairstyle. Change your shoes. Change the way you dress. And some people even change their families, but I want you to know this. There's nothing in this world as powerful as a changed mind. You change this, it will affect everything else about your life. Amen. But here's the problem. It takes time because we have an extraordinary, extraordinarily limited capacity to be able to receive correction. When the preacher's preaching, how many of y'all do this? It's throwing it right over your shoulder to the guy right behind you. Amen. We all do that to some measure. 
This is why the scripture says in Isaiah 28, 10, for precept must be upon precept. And then it says it again, precept upon precept. And then line upon line. And then it says that again, line upon line. Oh, heaven help me. Here a little and there a little. I wish that I could open my heart to God and say, God, all at one time. Here I stand completely open. Download all of your truth into my heart. I wish it worked that way. But it's here a little, there a little. You say, well, why doesn't God give us the whole download? It's because of our limited capacity to receive. It's precisely because it is so difficult to break, recognize and break old mindsets and to get out of the ruts that were created by the wrong thoughts. Are you hearing this? It's precisely for that reason why you need to get as much of the word of God as you can. Hey, it's not on the supply side. It's on the receiving side. God is standing there. I mean, he's like, you know, the Indy 500 when these guys race into a pit stop and boom, 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 boom. They change tires just that fast and they stick the nozzle of that high pressure fuel hose into that ticket. Boom. And it's full again. It's not like you're filling up at HEB. <laughs> Takes you five minutes. I mean, that thing, you stick that nozzle in, into that tank and boom, it's full just that fast. It's not on God's side. The capacity to receive is limited on our side. Years of harboring the wrong thoughts and emotions, whether it's anger, bitterness, lust, envy, depression, unbelief, resentment, jealousy. After a while, they become our default settings, don't they? And you know what default settings are? That's what you automatically revert back to. And just like your iPhone or your computer, you have to go to settings, find the app that says settings, and open it up and go in and deliberately change your default settings, or they do not change automatically. I wouldn't want a computer or an iPhone that just bounced all over the place and changed settings every time I used it. Would you? You're not made that way either. You've got to go inside your own heart and take the word of God that God is giving you, which is why, again, I say this, you can never get too much of the word of God. You can get too little. And so can I say this about Wednesday night? Don't forget recharge. You need to be here. Amen. Because you're, you can get the word of God. Amen. That will begin to change your life and your heart. In our text, God gave Jehoshaphat and Judah a word that literally enabled them to change their position and position themselves strategically. Second Chronicles 20 and 15. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, so forth. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, It really starts right there. You need the word of God. And secondly, you have to listen. Amen. There are then eight things that we see that happened as a result of this word being given. And these eight things literally repositioned Judah so that, as I said, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. Stand still and see the salvation of God. They got to see God fight on their behalf. Because they took the two words between those two assurances and applied them to their lives. Number one, 
Jehoshaphat took personal responsibility for positioning himself in the nation. Personal responsibility. He took personal responsibility. First Chronicles 23. And Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He didn't expect others to do what needed to be done for him. I need somebody to look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you right now. Now, put your hands up in case they throw a punch. Amen. We have to position ourselves. So many people in society have become victims today. Have you noticed that? I'm a victim because of this and a victim because of that and a victim. Look, you can spend your entire life waiting on someone else to start treating you right or seeing the value you bring to the table or recognizing your gifts. But guess what? If you spend the rest of your life waiting for that to happen, it may never happen. Don't wait for someone else to open the door. Get up and go open it yourself. Amen. Take personal responsibility. In life, you can only have one of two things. Are you listening? You can have reasons or you can have results. Which one do you want? You want results or do you want to go through the rest of your life giving everybody the reasons why you didn't get any results? It's up to you. Take personal responsibility for your own life. Number two, Jehoshaphat changed his attitude. Second Chronicles 20, verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared. His initial action would be pretty much what mine and yours would be. I mean, enemies stretched out into infinity on both sides of the horizon. And you got this little old handful of people. His first reaction was to just be terrified. Amen. And I can't say that I hardly blame him here either. It was a huge army. But he didn't allow himself to stay in that, that frame of mind. My grandmother used to teach me, listen, son, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. I love some of those old time sayings like that, that just lay it out there and say it like it is. Amen. He decided he wasn't going to live in fear. He changed his attitude. And here's why you need to do that. Amen. You might not realize it, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. But you can control your attitude if you're willing to try hard enough to do so. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be sad. You don't have to be disappointed. You don't have to be bitter. You don't have to be jealous. You don't have to be mad. You don't have to be any of that for the rest of your life. I need somebody to say, today, I'm putting a stop to that. Would you do that? I'm going to stop being a victim. I'm taking control of my life, and I'm changing my attitude. Most of the stuff we're afraid of is not even real anyway. I'm serious. Most of us worry about tragedies that never happen. I'm afraid I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm afraid I'm going to get cancer. I'm afraid I'm going to get laid off and I won't be able to work and my family's going to be put out on the streets and, and oh my God, my God, my. And we spend years in fear. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are aware that the velociraptor has been dead for millions of years? That's a dinosaur, right? So if you see one, you know that can't be real. 
watch this from this Japanese program, the Japanese version of Candid Camera. <laughs> Look at the man's legs underneath. That's the devil. And this is us. Most of what the devil tries to frighten you with is not even going to happen. And if it does, can I say this? The Lord will deliver you out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of them all. I need somebody to say amen. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's not shell oil that's taking care of me. It's God that's taking care of me. It's not Bank America that is paying me. It's God that's providing my salary. He's my res. He's my source. Bank America is just my resource. Amen. 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 Second Chronicles 2020, Jehoshaphat said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. So the real issue is, what are you going to believe? You're going to believe everything the enemy tries to tell you? Or are you going to choose to believe what God's word that never changes, for, which is forever settled in the heavens, is saying that you are a child of God and he is going to bless your life. He is looking to bless your life. The enemy wants to draw you into unbelief because he knows that's putting you out of position. Number three, they went to God in prayer. Uh Uh-huh, there it is. That's what the early church did. Verse three, Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord in spite of the hostile threats. Now, look at this. He's got an army that he knows he cannot possibly defeat with his little bitty group of soldiers. And then he's got all of these panicked people that are turning to him and he's got to provide solutions. He's got generals that are saying, what do we do? I don't know how to handle a battle like this. I mean, they didn't teach this in military strategy when I was at West Point. What in the world do we do now? And you know what Jehoshaphat did being pulled from every direction? He said, time out. Right, hold it, it's enough, right there, let's go pray. And I have found in life that when you are so busy that you can't pray, is exactly when you need to stop and pray. Amen. Because as I mentioned earlier, one of the most important things that prayer will do is it will change the way you think. It puts you in contact with God. Trust me when I tell you in his presence, things don't look the same as they do when you're out of his presence. Hello, somebody. Amen. Number four, they fasted. Second Chronicles 20, verse number three. My time is nearly gone. They proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. Huh? You mean they went to church? Yeah. If you're going to get in position, one of the first things you've got to do is start making a commitment to be in the house of God. 
And they gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Hey, it wasn't easy getting to church back then too. They didn't have a Ford. They didn't have a Chevrolet or Chrysler to drive to church. They had an old wagon pulled by a mule named Ben that was stubborn. Amen. They went to the house of God. They fasted. We have just concluded 30 days of prayer and fasting. It is amazing to me the stories that I'm hearing from our members of things that God has done during this 30-day period. Did you notice that it is immediately following this 30-day period that we have a buyer for our building? Somebody in the building say, thank God again for that. Did you notice that it is immediately following this fast of 30 days that we have been granted a a grant for $200,000 to continue our service to people that were displaced in this horrific hurricane that we just experienced? I want you to notice that prayer and fasting really do work. This 30-day season of prayer and fasting has been remarkable. Number five. They had a correct view and perspective of who God was. One of the things the enemy wants to do is change how you view God. I'm going to say it right now, and I hope that you will remember this as long as you live. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. All the time. You say, but it's not going real well right now. That wasn't God. That's the enemy. Get in position and God will bring you out of that. Because he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Amen. He anoints my head with oil. Amen. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord and said, Before the new court. He said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one else is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Amen. They remembered who God really was. And one of the things that life can do when you've been thrown a few curves is it can make you think the wrong things about God. The enemy will tell you you need to blame God when that's not true. Number six, they positioned the problem to be a kingdom problem rather than a personal one. Listen to this, Second Chronicles 20. I love this. And now he's praying. Here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. They reposition this to be God's problem rather than theirs. I love that. (laughs) Whatever you're going through right now, why don't you do the same thing? Why don't you say it's not about me, it's all about God. Amen. God, you show up and, and be strong in the middle of this situation. Hallelujah. You say, well, how, how, 
how can I do that? Why should I? It's really simple. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Which means you have the perfect right when the enemy attacks you to say, do you know who you're messing with right now? I mean, say it again. Do you know who you're messing with right now? Do you know who you're messing with right now? I'm God's property. You're not messing with me. You're messing with something that belongs to heaven. Hallelujah. God created you to glorify him. You need to understand that you play a bigger role in a drama that is more important than just that of your own life. It's about the conflict of kingdoms, about darkness and light. Number seven, they acted in faith. Look at this. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. Tell somebody, you got to act. Now look at your neighbor. Careful. Careful. Back up just a... Lean over the other way and say, when do you plan on starting? (laughs) The weather will always be too hot or too cold. It will be raining or not enough rain. The wind will be blowing or it won't be blowing. The time is never going to be right. You just got to act. Amen. You have to act on the word that God has given you. You can't just continue to wait and wait and wait and wait. Someone said, well, I'll start praying later. Too late. Got to act. Amen. Well, as soon as God blesses me, I'm going to start tithing. Y'all knew that was coming. You got to act. Pastor Tony, I didn't make a pledge to that building program, but I did buy a lottery ticket. And if God will help me win, I'll give the tithe. And number eight, they worshiped. Second Chronicles 20 and 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and, were, and they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Israel never fired an arrow. They never drew a sword. Now, you can either fight by yourself, and let me get real with you, some of those you might even win. I'm serious. You might win a few. You might be intelligent enough, insightful enough, skilled enough, Machiavellian enough (laughs) that you can deal with it on this level by yourself. But I promise you, you'll not win all of them. But if you let the Lord fight your battle, I promise you, you will never know what loss is about. Not in the long term. As a result of allowing The word of God to position their thinking correctly. Verse 22 says that the enemy was defeated. And it says in verse 25 and 26, when Jehoshaphat and his people who had not even fought, the enemy fell upon one another. God sent a spirit of confusion and they started killing each other. And whenever they went out, they found 
among the dead bodies an abundance of valuables and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Does that blow your mind? It took three whole days for them to carry away the wealth that this invading army had brought. And they literally renamed the valley where this occurred in. They renamed it Berachah, which means prosperity and blessing. What God will do if you will position yourself correctly, he will take everything the enemy meant to hurt you and turn that into a blessing that increases your prosperity and causes you to walk in another level of favor. Somebody in the building ought to say hallelujah. I said that during this recent hurricane in some of the podcasts. I said, I don't know how, but I just feel this in the spirit. Some of you, this is saying the worst, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. I've lost so much, but I encouraged you and I encourage you still if it hasn't happened yet. Hold on to God. Believe God. Because God will take the worst the enemy can throw at you and make it become a blessing to you. Somebody in the building knows what I'm talking about because I've gotten letters. I've gotten emails to this very effect. And so here's what happens when you reposition yourself. What the enemy meant to use to destroy you actually ends up becoming your valley of Berachah. And just think if they had not positioned themselves, what would have happened? Those few that did survive and their children and grandchildren, they would have passed that valley and said, ooh, bad. That's where we lost everything right there. But because they did reposition themselves, now when they pass that valley, they say, hey, kids, grandkids, hey, see that valley over there? That's where daddy got wealthy right there. That's where daddy got blessed. That's where I got my promotion. That's where mama got elevated. That's where our marriage was healed. That's when I got healed of cancer. You will look at what the enemy meant to bring you down. Where he was busy digging your grave. You will come to look at that as the foundation that your life is now built upon. Amen. Would you stand with me before we leave here today? The result of the early church positioning themselves was that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want our prayer counselors to come. And in just a moment, I'm gonna call you to prayer. What would the result be if God's people learned to position themselves correctly as Jehoshaphat did and Judah did, as the early church did? It would be the same result that the early church experienced that people would be flocking into the church because your life would be a living testament, a testimony to the goodness of God. God wants to bless you because he wants to make you a living advertisement for what he can do. I'm going to ask you to come pray with me right now because there are people in this building that need to leave some things here. You need to leave some fear here. You need to leave some bitterness. Come, everybody, just draw in close if you would. You need to leave some unbelief. I 
I feel the spirit of the Lord so deep and rich in this building right now. You see, what's happening with the church is a larger picture of what God actually wants to be happening with you right now. I've shared with you what has happened. It is during this 30-day season of prayer and fasting that a buyer approached us. As Tony said a while ago, one buyer said, we don't think we're quite able to handle it right now. And the very week that they did that, another buyer came. Amen. Amen. It's during this 30-day season of prayer and fasting that we filled out the application for the grant. And that was both of those things. The grant was approved and the other person agreed to the terms of this for the sale of this building and the price. The point that I'm making is that that's what you see in the larger scale. It's clear to everybody here that these are evidences and signs of God's favor and a response to our prayers and our fasting. The timing is undeniable. I've received emails. I've received letters. People have stopped me in the hall. People have have pointed their finger at me and said, you know, Pastor, when you said that on that podcast during that hurricane that we would be more blessed afterward... They said, I just wanted you to know I'm one of those that was. I lost so much. And then God turned it around. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, it's not over. So so don't despair and give up hope. But we are in a remarkable season of favor and blessing. It is my prayer today that you will leave this place positioning yourself for what is happening to the church in general to happen in your life as an individual would you lift your hands and say this with me Father today I receive the promises of God in my life today I'm making a decision that I am going to act upon the premises required I reject fear and unbelief. I'm not going to live tormented by concerns about what's going to happen tomorrow. I know that you're on my side. Come on, I want you to say it. I know that you're on my side. And if God is for me, who can be against me? If I trust you, I know it's going to work out all right. I'm moving into my destiny. My season for my time has come. Hallelujah. And now why don't we do what Jehoshaphat and Judah did? Why don't we worship for just a few minutes? Would you do that? Lift your hands and let's praise Him. Lift your hands and let's worship. Lift your hands and let's love God. Thank you, God. For God.